Pastors Larry and Tiz Huck welcome you to another Larry Huck Ministries podcast. We pray this teaching will fill you with God's wisdom, anointing, and revelation knowledge. Thank you for your prayers and faithful support. And I want to minister on something that, you know, I'm going to be real honest, and I hope this doesn't make me look bad. But I really have a hard time preaching messages on special occasions like Mother's Day or Father's Day or or Christmas or something like that. And the reason I have a hard time is not that I don't have any sermons on it. I have drawers and drawers of sermons, but I don't go to my drawer and get a sermon out. I, I want to give something that God has given me so that it's a revelation that will motivate your life, bless your life, change your life, stimulate your life. And so it's, it's difficult for me when we come and say, you know, I mean, there's, a, the, you know, there, there's easy messages to preach for Christmas. I, obviously, um, it's the birth of Christ. And so there's easy messages, and we can talk about the manger and all these other things. But I, I'm always looking for something that will teach us something, that will say, wow, I didn't know that, and that truth will come and set us free and bring blessing. And so when we're getting towards Christmas, it dawned on me, I said, I need to start praying about what to teach this Sunday as we're going into Christmas. And in my sleep, God spoke to me and he said, I want you to teach on the three wise men that came to Jesus and brought the gifts. Now, I debated whether I'm going to say this, but I'm going to say it anyway just to stir you up a little bit. Okay? Number one, it's, it, and it doesn't matter. Don't, you know, don't, don't leave the church over this. Don't call me a heretic. But it doesn't matter, but Jesus probably wasn't born in December. Now, there is a real Santa Claus, so hang on. It's, it's okay. <laughs> but if you look at all the biblical signs, Jesus was probably born and almost assuredly born during the time of the Feast of Tabernacles because the Bible said he would come in Tabernacle and we could look at Elizabeth's birthday and when John, uh, uh, birth, uh, when she's pregnant and when John was birthed and the shepherds in the field. And so he was probably do- born during the Feast of Tabernacles, but that's okay uh, for, for hundreds and hundreds of years, the church didn't really celebrate the birth of Jesus. It's kind of a modern thing. And so we use the time of around Christmas, December 25th, and that's, that's fine. Everybody's still okay? <laughs> He's ruined it for me. The other thing is, let me ask you a question. We also, we'll have a little fun. It's Christmas time. We'll have a little fun. How many wise men were there on the day that Jesus was born? How, how many? 43? How, more than three. Okay. The reality is there was only one wise man that was there when Jesus was born, and that's Jesus. Be, because if you look at the scriptures, in Luke, it says when the shepherds came, the shepherds came 
they came and saw baby Jesus in the manger, okay? And here's a neat thing about, you know, just a little thing about shepherds were the first ones to recognize Jesus. The shepherds were the lowest people in the social status. And I think that's very symbolic. The shepherds were people who many times weren't allowed in the temple because of touching of dead animals. They, they, they were shepherds. They probably smelled different. But I think it's pretty significant when you look at the scripture and God says, those who are forgiven much loveth much. And you look at the first ones to recognize Jesus as the King of kings and Lord of lords were the least likely. But the other side of that is there's none righteous, no, not one. Now, the shepherds came, and the Bible says in Luke, it says, and they came to worship the baby. But you're going to see here when the wise men came, the Bible says they didn't come to a manger, they came to a house, and they came to worship the young child. And Herod had already decided to kill the children two years old and down. So this is probably somewhere between a year and two years after the birth of Jesus. Are you all okay? So it's still okay to have a manger scene under your tree because that tree is very holy Simba. We have a big one. Although my wife is hard in her heart, she won't let me have a real live tree. I got to have this fake tree. But you can still have it under there. But the symbols that we see that I'm going to show you today really are life-changing. So read with me in Matthew chapter 2, starting with verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came from the east to Jerusalem. Now, just a little side note in there. The, the, the word is magi. And we use the word wise men, which it really is. And these were, these were scientific people. These were scholars. And how did they know the Messiah was born? We were talking about this with the guys in the back before we prayed and come out here. They read the signs. They were smart enough to read the signs. And we were talking about this in the back. How many people in church... In the church world right now, Christians that are not even seeing the signs of how close we are to the coming of the Messiah. Wise people read the signs. We don't just go to church to go to church. We come to church to learn. We come to church to worship God. We come to church to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And we come to church to read the signs so that we can be, be prepared for I believe the greatest outpouring of the Spirit of God and the coming of the Messiah. Verse 2, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and we've come to worship him. And where, when Herod the king heard these things, he was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. And when he gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, quote, but, you, but you, Bethlehem, 
in the land of Judah, by the way, the land of Judah, not West Bank, the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come its ruler, who will, who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had uh, secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he set them, sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child, and when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. And when they heard the king, when they had heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they'd seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, we have this tradition that there are three wise men, and we've already said this, that even at this time when they came, there's nowhere in the Bible that says there were three wise men. Where we get that tradition is they brought three gifts, myrrh, frankincense, and gold. And out of that, we think there are three wise men. In reality, if you read history, number one, when you came to worship a king, no one would just bring one gift. They would probably, which was custom, each one of them bring seven camels full of gifts. Now, there's no way that we can know that there are three kings. Most of history says there was probably closer to a hundred of these wise men that came. And each one, when you came to a king, you would bring three gifts. You would bring gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And so picture a hundred people, perhaps, but let's say just three. Each one of them had seven camels full of gold, seven camels full of myrrh, and seven camels full of frankincense. So this would have been quite a scene that they came and found Joseph and Mary and the young child, and they came and brought these gifts to worship him and announced that this was truly not an ordinary king, but he was truly the king of kings. Yeah. Now, we know that, as I said before, we know that Jesus was probably dur born during the Feast of Tabernacles. We see that Jesus was, in our tradition, born in a manger, which is the Hebrew word sukkah, which is during the time of Sukkot, the time of the Feast of Tabernacles. And what a what more of a proper way to recognize the king of kings than the Lord would come, almighty God would come, and he would tabernacle amongst us. So none of that really makes any difference. Was there three? Was there a hundred? Were there seven camels full of each? But what we want to focus on today is the revelation of why did they bring these gifts and what did these gifts represent? Now, if I were to ask you today, I said, okay, I, up, up here on the table, I have three things. I have myrrh, I have frankincense, and gold. And you can come up and get whichever one you wanted. 
Where do you think most people would head for? The gold, exactly. And there's nothing wrong with that. And we're going to show you that God fully wants us to have gold. Uh, uh, you know, when, when I was studying this, I realized, man, I could do a whole month of teaching on what myrrh is, what frankincense, and what gold is. Now, let me say this in leading up to this. Gold is not bad. I'm going over to the Presbyterians. <laughs> gold is not bad. As a matter of fact, when God created the world, the last thing he shows us is that up the river Pisan, which su surrounds uh, Eden, is the river Pisan, and up that river is where the gold is. Now, the interesting thing about gold, and this is not the teaching. Well, I'm going to do this at the beginning of the year. The interesting thing about gold is it's used in a term that it's flowing. The only way gold is not good is when it's stagnant. When gold is flowing, in other words, God puts it in our hands. We use it to build the kingdom of God. We use it to be blessed. We use it to look good. We use it to buy houses. We use it to make sure everybody else is taken care of. Then that gold goes from regular gold to pure gold. And so that's a whole nother teaching. But we've got to understand, number one, is gold is not bad. Gold is good. If gold was bad, Satan would have been out in the parking lot passing it out as you came into church. Gold needs to get into our hands from the wealth of the wicked into the hands of the righteous. Amen. So we're going to talk about we're going to talk about gold and at the at the at the beginning of next year I'm going to do a more study on all of these, but I want to look at these gifts backwards in in the reverse order so the first thing i want to look at is the wise men coming to worship jesus brought myrrh now i'm not going to go into a lot of detail on this but myrrh is the holy oil that is used for anointing now when we get back into this we'll read exodus 30 and you can read it at home exodus 30 um uh 22 through 25 and when you look at the anointed oil, the oil for anointing, you'll see that it's made up of four different spices. But the main spice that, that's mixed with the olive oil, and, and by the way, just a side note, for this anointing to take place, these, the myrrh has to be mixed with a certain special olive oil. Now, many of the rabbis in Israel believe that olive oil is going to come from the land where you and I are partnering with settlers in Egypt, in Judea and Samaria, and we've been working with them for about eight, nine years now, and the olive trees that they are growing uh, in the land of uh, the city of Amos, many, many of the Bible scholars believe these very olive oil trees that we have helped them plant are, it's go are going to be used for anointing the Messiah when he comes to the tabernacle. And which, which I, I don't, you know, uh, some, I can't remember who it is, but he's really good looking. Says in ancient Hebrew, there's no word for coincidence. And so here we are standing with Israel and we're helping settle the land back into the hands of the Jews and they're growing olive oil. We have those trees are now producing olive oil. And so when they take this myrrh 
and they mix it with these other spices. The main ingredient is olive oil and myrrh. And it's called in, it reads different in English, it's called flowing myrrh. Now, if you read it in Hebrew, it's the word flowing myrrh is mordor. The word mor simply means myrrh, but the Hebrew word dor means flowing full of liberty, freedom, and release. Liberty, freedom, and release. Now, I'm going to, in January, I'm going to teach more on this, but listen to what it says. They first came and brought him an anointing oil, and this anointing oil, when anointed with this oil, it would bring liberty, freedom, and release. Now, I want that to give you great hope. When I was reading that, and I read the, read the Hebrew word of that, it's a flowing thing. It's not something that was just 2,000 years ago. This is a living oil. This is a flowing oil. And I thought about my own life and my very first Christmas. And I want to use this because God is no respecter of persons. When I came in the church for the first time, I had seven federal warrants out for my arrest. I'd been selling to a narcotics agent for a year and a half. They were looking to arrest me. I was a heroin addict. I was a drug addict. I was full of violence. I was addicted to cocaine and and drugs. And when I came and received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, yes, my sins were forgiven where I could make heaven my home. But that anointing that was symbolic on the time that Jesus was born, that anointing came and set the captive free. They would tell my mom and dad, once a junkie, always a junkie. The world says you can't change, or the world says the one you love can't change, or the world says your husband or your wife or your son and your daughter, you know what? Look where they're at. They'll never change. But I want you to know the world says they can't change, but the word of God says who the sun sets free shall be free indeed. That anointing is stronger today than it's ever been before. So I want you to look at this year and think about that gift of myrrh that anointed oil that they came and presented to Jesus because he is symbolically saying listen for you and your family I'm going to come and bring liberty for you and your family I'm going to come and bring freedom for you and your family I'm going to set you free it doesn't matter what happened yesterday God has put yesterday under the blood what God is concerned about is your tomorrow your son's tomorrow, your daughter's tomorrow, and I want you to claim with me going into this new year, this is the year that my family is getting saved. This is the year that my family is getting delivered. This is the year that my family is getting set free because if God can do it for one of us, he can do it for every one of us. Somebody shout amen. Amen. I'll get into this in January. But this word is the same word used when God is talking about every 50 years, the year of Jubilee. Somebody needs to receive this. The Jubilee, God says, I will release you from debt. I will bring you financial freedom. I will bring you redemption. I will bring you restoration. 
I want you to listen to what this anointing, when these wise men came and brought Jesus and uh, the anointing oil of myrrh, it was symbolic of what Jesus was going to do for the world. But what's more important is what Jesus is going to do for me and what Jesus is going to do for you. And we need to understand this is why he was born. He was not born just to die, but he was born to give us life and that life more abundant. And in every area, somebody say every area, in every area, it says he, it's the same word for jubilee. When jubilee comes every 50 years, he forgets all debt. He cancels all debt. But I want you to know that Jesus is our jubilee every moment of every day. And God wants to come in this year and bring you financial freedom. God wants to come in this year and bring you debt release. How many could use some debt release? How many could use some financial freedom? But it goes beyond that. The term for jubilee means redemption. What Satan's meant for evil, God will use it for good. It means restoration. Maybe you've made a mistake. Maybe you blew it. Maybe somebody you know blew it. Maybe the devil blew it. But God has come to redeem us by his blood. That blood of Jesus that he shed seven different times comes to redeem us and to restore us. Listen to me. They never, you know, some, the other day when I got back from Israel and I met with all these government officials and stuff, Nancy came in my office and she said, Pastor, when you were living in South St. Louis, did you ever dream you would be in the position that you're at right now in the world? When I was living in South St. Louis, I never dreamed that I wouldn't be a drug addict. I never dreamed that I would stay out of jail. But when Jesus Christ gets involved, he's not just getting involved with you so you can make heaven your home. He's getting involved with you and your family and your marriage and your sons and your daughters and your grandchildren that come and what Satan's meant for evil to totally redeem us and put us back on the path to make a difference in the world. Somebody ought to say amen. That's the reason for the myrrh that represents the anointing. The second thing that they brought was frankincense. And frankincense represented, without getting into all the scriptures, frankincense represented a perfume. It was a sweet-smelling perfume, and it represented in the tabernacle and in the temple incense that went to the nostrils of God representing our prayers. You know, when I looked at that, I've told you this story before, but Tiz and I were, I was writing a book on the seven curses that block the blessing. And God showed me there's seven curses in the church that block the blessing and we don't even know what they are. And one of those is racism. We can, you cannot have the presence of God if we don't welcome into our midst every race, every color, every skin color, every background, a kingdom divided against itself can't stand. So we were coming back from Israel. We stopped in Venice because Venice is where the word ghetto first came from. And the word ghetto came when the Christians locked the Jews in a ghetto and separated them, locked them in. And that's what Satan has always done. He's tried to lock Jews in the ghetto and black people in the ghetto and poor white people in the ghetto and Hispanic in the ghetto. It's a separation. And Jesus came to tear those walls down. Can I have an amen? He came to 
set the captive free. And so we were over there in, in Venice, and uh, we went into the Jewish quarter. There used to be thousands and thousands of Jews, and now there's only like 15 or 20 Jews live there because, because Hitler killed them all during, during the Nazi occupation. And so we were in the ghetto there, and I was looking at this wall where they would line Jews up and shoot them. The bullet holes are still there. And Tiz had gone into the shop, and she was looking at some of the Jewish things there. And these two Orthodox young men came over to me. And they, you know, it's, it's a little, it's only about this wide and Tiz is right here. And they came out of this little shop. They're Orthodox, ultra Orthodox. And they came up to me and said, excuse me, um, uh, uh, are you Jewish? And I said, well, yeah, I am. And, and they said, well, have you prayed today? And I said, yeah, I, I prayed and, and, you know, this and that. And they said, well, did you put on the tefillin out of Deuteronomy? Take my word and wrap it around your arm, put it between your eyes. And I said, you know, and I didn't want to, I didn't want to embarrass him saying, listen, I, yeah, I'm a, I'm a pastor, I'm a Christian. I didn't want to put him on the spot. And uh, they said, I said, no, I prayed, but I didn't do that. Well, come in with us, come in the shop. And so I said, no, no, go come in, come in. They're real assistant. Come in and pray, come in and pray with us. And I said, listen, guys, I gotta, I gotta be honest with you. I said, I am Jewish. I said, but, but I'm a pastor, I'm a Christian. Now, not many years ago, that, that's a, that's a game changer. All right, you're, you're a traitor. You, we can't talk with you. You know what they said? That's fine. Let's pray anyway. You, you, the Bible says, and I know it says, take, take my word and put it on the doorpost of your house, right? That's the mezuzah. Take it and wrap it around your arm between your eyes. That's the tefillin. And I said, well, listen. I said, I'll tell you what. I'll do that. I'll do that if you can tell me why you do that not just a ritual not just going through a ritual why does god say to take this thing wrap it around our arms take the word put it between our eyes if you can tell me why then i'll do that and they said you've been invited to talk to almighty god in prayer Almighty God, the one who blew his breath and made the Grand Canyon, the one who waved his fingers and created the oceans, the one who spoke this world into existence. If you'll stop and pray, he'll say to angels, quiet, quiet quit making universes. My child is about to speak to me. He said, so you take this and wrap it to slow yourself down and say to yourself, Almighty God has just invited me into his presence, and he'll stop to listen. He said, God loves the prayers of his people. And I said, Wrap that puppy on me. Put that. I put that thing on. I had that thing on my head. I walked out and said, Tis. And think about it. That's the frankincense. That's the perfume. That's the incense of prayer in the temple. That's your prayers. 
that God says your prayers when you say, well, Pastor Larry, you don't know where I'm from. He does. He knows where we're all from. But you know what's more exciting is he knows where we're going when we stop. If my people will humble themselves and pray. It's not like, it's not like, you know, it's hard for us to relate to God our Father because, because we relate to earthly fathers. And, you know, my father was always too busy. My father, my, my father didn't have time. My father, I, my, my father could fix anything. And I was a little kid, and i look under the car and say, Dad, how you doing? And he'll get out of here. Get out, get out of here away. But that's not our heavenly father. Our heavenly father, when you tomorrow morning get up and just take 10 minutes and get on your knees and say, Father, I don't know what you're doing today, but let me be a part of it. You know, I'm going to teach when I get into this. I'm going to teach when you pray. Say, God, let me be sensitive to your voice. Let me be sensitive to what, God, what are you doing today? And what's my part of it? God says, I'll stop making universes and I'll breathe your prayers into my nostrils because it's sweet smelling savor. You know, my grandboys, my grandtwits came up to me uh, last week and they said, Saba, can we come over and watch a movie with you? Can we come over and watch a movie? You know, when they're 18, they don't really want to spend a lot of time with grandma and grandpa. And when they said, Samba, can we come and watch a movie? It's like, can you imagine what almighty God, and, and, and we're too busy? <laughs> really? We're too busy? I want you to think about this when the wise men brought the frankincense. It's sweet smelling. It's incense going up into the nostrils of God. And I, I, when I'm looking, I'm sitting in my office and I'm picturing God leaning over and going, it sure is smelling good when my children stop and talk to me. So I want to encourage you this year, let's get prayer back into our lives. Let's take a moment before we run out the door to go take care of things. Let's take a moment to ask God, God, what are you doing today? And what's my part in it? Now, here's the last thing. And there's so much in the myrrh. There's so much in the frankincense. But here's the last thing. And this is really good. The last thing is they brought to him gold. You know, at the beginning of this message, I said, which would you choose? And all of us would say gold. You know, frankincense sounds good, myrrh sounds good. But what you're going to understand is none of these work without the other two connected to them. We know what gold is. We know what gold's for. And it's something that has turned into the sign of wealth. But we need to understand that it's God who gives us power in our hands to gain that wealth. Now watch this. Give me, give me 10 minutes. <laughs> Exodus 25. Let me take a moment to do it. Exodus 25 through Exodus 30 is God telling Moses how to build his house. Build me a house that I would dwell in. I'll just say this in a nutshell. All the objects inside the tabernacle and inside the temple 
were made of either pure gold or wood that was covered in pure gold. And the key to that is pure gold. Now, here's the key to this, and I'm going to get into more in January, but this is what grabbed me. Why did God say, I want you to cover everything in my house with pure gold? Well, you have to go back to the Jewish roots. In Judaism, gold is a symbol of divine wisdom. Now watch this. This, is, this will blow your mind. Gold is the symbol of divine wisdom. And, and I'll get into this more in January. In order to be a prophet, you had to be wealthy. In order to be a prophetess, you had to be wealthy because wealth and wisdom of God are synonymous. Now, that needs to be an encouragement for you because in these last days, God is going to begin to raise up prophets and prophetesses. And as God raises you up in the gifts of the Spirit, he's also going to raise you up financially. Oh, I need a better, I need a better amen. Now, let me just give you a couple things. Exodus 28, 2 and 3 says, You shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and beauty. You shall speak to all who are gifted artists whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom. Now, I'm saying this so fast. God's saying, here are the leaders in the house of God. And he says, you shall make holy garments for Aaron, for the leaders, for the priests. And it says in our English, for glory and beauty. The Hebrew words are for honor and splendor. Now, let me, let me say that this, and I'm, forgive me, I'm saying it so fast. Gold is a symbol of divine wisdom. And he said, if, as you raise up in the priesthood, I'm going to cover you in gold for honor. In other words, people are going to look at you and go, why are you so blessed? And you say, because I serve Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And splendor. That word splendor means supernatural revelation. How many of you would like to be a multimillionaire? And those that didn't raise your hands, liar, liar, pants on fire. How many know how to be a millionaire? God does. And he will lead you. Now, this is not just a, a, a hype. Listen to what I'm saying. This is the birthing of Jesus' ministry. One is to look good. God wants you to look good. God wants you to live in a nice house. He wants you to drive a nice car. Well, well Jesus, Jesus was poor. Jesus never was poor. That's a, that's, a lie from, that's a lie from Rome. Jesus never was poor. Remember when they fed the 5,000? I remember when they fed the 5,000. The disciples came to Jesus, and they said to Jesus, Lord, you need to send them so they can eat. They've been here all day. And Jesus said, you feed them. You feed them. They said, do we go and buy? In other words, they had enough on them to go buy. Oh, come on, somebody. Help me here. They had enough money to go buy lunch for 5,000 people. But Jesus said, no, no, you didn't even do that. Take that little boy's lunch, and, and we'll do a miracle. And the miracle was it fed 5,000 people. 
and what was left over? 12 baskets full. In other words, God has enough to take care of everybody and those who are doing the ministry get the good measure, press down, shake it, go. Oh, come on, somebody. We've got to lose that poverty mentality. So one is gold is to make you look good. Listen, nobody's going to, you know, th this whole thing of the vows of poverty and, well, you need to be like I am, you know, you need what I have. People look at that and go, is there a cure for what you have? <laughs> but when you're happy and your bills are paid and you're taken care of and your debt's been, oh, come on, somebody help me here. <laughs> They're going to want to know how it is you got there. Your blessing is a testimony. But the other side is the splendor. That splendor is, is building the kingdom of God, of taking care of the kingdom of God. I was telling the guys in the back, and I'm, I'm, I'm getting off to it. There's, there's so much to teach in here. When, when I look at that and you look at God's temple, one of the greatest tricks of the devil is to bring poverty into the church. And, and we stopped dressing up for church. We started, well, we don't want anything fancy in the church. You know, when they build a, you ever been to Europe and go to those churches over there? People go by in tours to see those church. We need to get it back where we're, 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 we're a place that people go, man, you need to go down to New Beginnings and see how blessed those people are and look at their children's ministry and look at their youth ministry and look at their, their seniors' ministry. It's so blessed and they've got so many needs. The house of God needs to be something that glorifies our God. Our God is an awesome God. But here's the neat part. I got to okay, I gotta, I gotta move. Here's, here's the neat part is that when you look at the house of God, it, it, it says you shall speak to all who are gifted artists. That word in, in Hebrew is not gifted artists. It's look who's building the house of God covered in gold who are wise hearted. Who are wise hearted. Say wise. wise. Say hearted. Now, let me show you this. This is so good. Who I have filled with the spirit of wisdom. Now, I don't want to embarrass Derek and Katrina, but Derek came in here into this church out of prison, and he stayed around, and he in the back, and he's hearing these things, and they're millionaires now. Say amen. Is that okay to say? I don't mean to. I don't mean to embarrass him, but he came in out of prison, and he wasn't the wisest guy in the world when he first got here. But you should see what they do together. And they met in church. You should see what they do together. And I can guarantee you, God has given them tremendous wisdom. And God is no respecter of persons. He can give you wisdom. Oh, come on. You're making me work too hard. So that together you can be blessed and together we can build the kingdom of God. Right? Say wise, hearted. All right, now I know I'm giving you a lot and I'm giving it to you fast, but I got, I got, I've got seven minutes. Now watch this. If you look at the temple, everything in the temple was covered in pure gold, not tainted gold, pure gold. Why is that important? 
In the world, there are seven grades of gold. Seven grades of gold. Dirty gold, cleaner gold, cleaner gold, cleaner gold. But in the house of God, he only used pure gold to cover his ministers, his priests. God used pure gold. Now, here's where the revelation comes in. If I were to ask you, tell me one object that sticks out of you that you would picture in the tabernacle of God, what would it be? The menorah. Who said that? The menorah. Now, there's all kinds of things in there. There's a table of showbread. There's all kinds of things. But the one thing that symbolizes Judaism more than anything else is the menorah. We just had the Hanukkah menorah, which are eight candlesticks. But in the temple menorah, and you're the temple of God. Somebody's going to change. Your life's going to change this year. You're the temple of God. The Holy Spirit is the menorah in you. It's the light of God in you that will lead you, guide you, teach you, show you things to come, right? How many levels of gold? How many candlesticks on the menorah? Seven. In Judaism, six, the menorah, and you, you can't tell it like this, but it was meant that all six are to lean in a little bit. Each one of those three on one side three, are to lean in a little bit. Why? To give knowledge to the middle one. The middle one represents God, the Bible, and his divine wisdom. The six represent in the world six levels of knowledge and we'll get into all that mathematical knowledge science knowledge business knowledge so every bit of knowledge comes from god but it only works when you acknowledge it is god who gives me the power to gain wealth through divine wisdom look at me God gives me power to gain wealth. How? Well, mostly not by buying a lotto ticket and scratching it. Now, if that happens for you, a tenth is the Lord's, offerings besides, and my birthday is November 15th. But for the rest of us, it's by God giving us wisdom. We're driving down the road, and God says, stop there. I got a job for you. We're driving down the road, and God says, buy that piece of land. I'm going to multiply it. God says, go in there and talk to that person. God brings somebody to talk to you. He gives you divine wisdom, but that divine wisdom only works when we acknowledge it is God who gives us that divine wisdom to gain wealth. Now, I'll get into this more, but let me give this to you. Everybody in the world can have six levels of wisdom. Everybody can. But if God is not central to your life, it won't work. And one of the greatest examples, and we'll give more examples in January, is when Jesus was there 
the Romans and the Greeks had ruled Israel. There is no Greek empire anymore. There is no Roman empire anymore. There are none of these empires anymore. Why? Not because they didn't have wisdom. The Romans could build everything. They had worlds. The Greeks had entertainment and, and, and music and all these other things. But the one thing they didn't have is acknowledging that it is God, it is Almighty God, it is his living word that makes all of this work. And so when we in America see them trying to push God out of our schools, when we see them pushing God out of our campuses, when we see them pushing God out of our government, we need to rise up and say, you know what? We may be the greatest nation on the face of the earth, but we won't stay that way unless we acknowledge that it is God who gives us the ability. Almighty God. That's why on our money we have in God we trust, not in our wisdom, not in our minds, not in our knowledge, but in Almighty God. It's God who gives us the ability to be a great nation. Now watch this. Five more minutes, because this, this is the best part. When I was studying this, and I've known this, I've taught this before, that it is the menorah represents the wisdom of God, the light of God, the knowledge of God, the anointing of God, the power of God. But the world can have that. But unless they have God, it will destroy them. If we forget God, Rome was a great nation. Greece was a great nation. The Assyrians were great nations, but they didn't acknowledge God. They acknowledged themselves. Now watch this. Here's the thing I end with. When you look at the menorah and you see that, can you bring the menorah back up, guys? And you see the menorah and it's burning. It's representing the, the, uh, the oil, the incense. It's representing the prayers of God, the anointing of God, and it's representing the Shekinah power of God. But the thing I want you to think about in this, and I'll get more on this in January, but this is marvelous, is how did they light that? How did they light that? And if you look at a detailed picture of the temple of God, now remember, you're the tabernacle of God now. The Holy Spirit is the Shekinah glory, the power of God, your prayers, the anointing, your prayers, the incense going up the nostrils of God. But how did they keep the light going? In the table in front of theirs, there were two more golden objects. One was called the fire basin. It's a gold basin in which the embers they use to light the fire so that the Shekinah would never leave Israel. So it's a golden basin full of burning embers that they could keep lighting the fire. But how did they get the embers to the menorah? Next to the golden basin was a golden set of tongs. Now, I looked around my house, and, and, and the only tongs I could find were the kind of tongs that you flip the steak over. Or you get the corn cob out of the, out of the boiling water. But it's the same thought. Tongs are used to move dangerous things. 
in Judaism, the fiery basin is your heart. It's got the fire of God in it. The tongs are your thoughts. And you take what's in your heart through your, through, through your thoughts and you light the light of God. But if you leave the middle one out, then eventually your thoughts will not be pure gold. Your thoughts become tainted gold. As a man thinks in his, so is he. And so when we're feeling something or when we're thinking something, we need to picture the Shekinah glory and we need to picture the fiery basin, which is our heart. We need to picture the golden tongs, which are our thoughts. And we need to make sure what's in our heart and what's in our mind always is connected to what God's word says. And when we do that, divine wisdom will come to us and he will lead us and guide us and teach us and show us things to come. Proverbs 1, 7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That doesn't mean we're afraid of God. It means that we are putting, we're, we're taking every thought and bringing it into the captivity of what God's word says. Wisdom is more precious, God says, than gold. God's word in your mouth is worth more than 10,000 bars of gold. They asked Jesus, or Jesus asked when they looked at the temple. You know, they, they looked at God's house and they said, it shines so much from the gold and the glory that you could see it 20 miles away. Picture the whole roof of the temple covered with gold but jesus asked the religious people of his day what's more important the gold on the roof or the wisdom and anointing of god that's inside of it and what we've got to understand is that we may be living in a house called america that seems to be covered in gold but if we don't understand the presence of god is what makes that gold shine. Eventually, we're going to lose that. But I declare to you, and here's the reason, and I do close with this. I declare this is why God told me to teach this. In the end times, God says there's going to be an end time transfer of wealth. The wealth of the wicked in the end times is going to be put in the hands of the righteous. God wants to come into the everyday, ordinary shepherds and say, listen, I'm going to anoint you that will break and set every captive free. I'm going to restore you. I'm gonna restore what the devil's stolen. I'm gonna restore what Satan's tried to do. I'm gonna refresh it. I'm gonna redeem you and bring you back to the mission. Say, so, well, Pastor, how, how can God redeem me? The, the moment before you were born, you stood before God. I stood before God. And God said, here's your mission. And Satan came in. Listen, God didn't make me a drug addict. God didn't make me a drug dealer. Satan did. But when I came to Christ, he totally redeemed me. 
and set me back on a mission, set me back on a goal. I can remember as a little boy, never went to church singing that little drummer boy song. And I thought, you know, God, I'm, I, I, I got nothing. You know, we were, we were the kind of family that for Christmas, we got socks and underwear. That's what we got. We got clothes. We got necessities for next year's school. Can anybody relate to that? But you know what? Our God is a wealthy God. And it's our Father's good pleasure. Oh, come on. Somebody ought to say amen. But what we've got to do is we've got to remember that with these seven layers of gold, he wants to cover in these last days us in pure gold. And that pure gold means that, God, we give you all the praise and all the glory. If all Jesus did was come, be born 33 years later, die on the cross, and I received him as my Savior 47, 48 years ago, Walked into that church, hair down to here, drug addict. Seven federal warrants out from my arrest. My mom for years never told anybody where I was living. Statue of limitations ran out and she could uh, tell everybody. Uh, it's the truth. But I didn't just get saved so someday I could eat through life and someday make heaven my home i can remember uh, that's all i cared that's all i cared about for years and years and years and years and we didn't care about anything else and we didn't look for anything else we didn't seek anything else and when it come christmas time we'd go to goodwill and buy our kids some broken down toy and try to fix it and we'd paint it some you know get an old bicycle and paint it for the kids and stuff and then when i found out you know what he has he has come to give us eternal life, but he's also come to give us life and that life more abundant. And it changed my life. And I could realize, I realized that I could not only be blessed, I could be a blessing. And you know what? That's a great way to live. It is our Father's good pleasure to give you a destiny wrapped in the promises of the kingdom. If all he did was get me to heaven, I couldn't thank him enough. But I'm here to tell you he's done more. He walked that Via Della Rosa. He shed his blood seven times. He told us of the seven levels of gold and the seven anointings because it doesn't matter who you are or where you're from or what you did. He's come to give you that life and life more abundant. This is why the wise men came. They came as a symbol for you and I, the anointing that will break every yoke. Who do men say that I am? You're the Christ. You're the anointed one who will remove every burden and break every yoke. Today, God will not only forgive us of our sin, but he'll break every curse. And you know what? I had, I had, in my life, I had a curse of uh, addiction in my family. My dad was addicted. My brother was addicted. I was addicted. But he didn't come just to forgive me of that. He came to break that curse and reverse that curse. And you know what? What should have been with your grandparents and your mother and your father, it's stored up in the bank of heaven, and God's getting ready to release it into your life. He's come to break every curse. Amen.
He's come to redeem us. Maybe you've fallen. Maybe you've slipped. Maybe you've gone backwards. He's come to redeem you. And you know what? He'll not only redeem you. Somebody needs to hear this. He'll restore the years the cankerworm is eating. Are there years? Are there years that you've wasted? God will bring that harvest back in your life this year. We're running out of time. Might as well be this year. And then he's going to begin to lead you and guide you and teach you and show you things to come. I was going to share, I'll share one more story. I was going to wait until January to, to teach on this. But here's how, uh, here's how Tiz, and I, Tiz and I have been living. We met a guy years and years and years and years and years ago, millionaire from Australia. And he told us about a friend of his is the wealthiest man in Switzerland, wasn't it? Switzerland. And he said, he's asked this guy for years, how did you become this multi-billionaire? And he said, the guy always shunned me, always shunned me, always shunned me. And he said, finally, I, I said, I really want to know. He said, I'll tell you. He said, every morning I come in my office, I sit at my desk and I look out the window over the mountains. And I say, God, what are you doing today? And what's my part of it? What's my part of it? How am I involved with what you're doing? You know, and I think about that when you've helped us. You know, you helped us give over $2 million to Israel. You've saved countless of lives. So when you said, God, what do you want me to do? You're saying, God, what's my part? How am I to be a part of this? The other day we went to, I got, you know, Marvin from... Uh, Lowe's uh, used to go here, and then he got presidency of, of Lowe's, and he always take, sends us, he's got a suite there. And so I called him some months ago, and I said, the Cowboys and the Eagles are playing Marvin. Can you get me some tickets? And he calls me back, and he said, I got better than that. He said, I got a friend of mine who has a box right on the, right on the field. Right, I mean, we're right there, sweats flying, and we're high-fiving players and stuff. And so we went there, and there's this gentleman named Fred's African-American gentleman great big tall guy and uh, I can't remember how we said it but I said something like how did how did and he's the president of uh, American Golf Association and all this and I said how did you how did you get here and he said let me introduce you to this guy and he introduced me to this old white guy and he said he said this guy mentored me and he said, yeah, we started having breakfasts and praying to mentor young men and young women. And, and I said, well, what's the key? And he said, he taught me every morning to get up and say, God, what are you doing today? And how can I be a part of it? And I, I said, Tiz, come over here. Because that's Tiz's favorite saying. How can I be a part of it? And so would you stand with me all over the building? Forgive me for going a little long on Christmas, but can I give you a prophetic word? Can I give every one of you a prophetic word and everyone that's watching with us around the world? Can I give you a prophetic word? Eye is not seen, ear is not heard, neither has it entered in the heart of man. The things that God has for you. The things that God has for you. When I first came to church, I have two college degrees, but I had done drugs for so many years, 
so intensely. They put me in church in the 15 and under Sunday school class because I couldn't talk. Drugs had eaten my mind, had eaten my thinking ability. I was in the 15 and under Sunday school class. But eye has not seen, ear has not heard. So if God can do something like that for me, what can he do for you? Because if you sit under this ministry, you have a right to a double portion. And I really feel like God laid this in my heart to say, this next year is going to be an incredible year. Put him first. Put him first in everything you do. Put him first. And watch divine wisdom come into your hands. Anointing. Answer prayers. And the power in your hands to gain wealth. Can I have an amen? Bow your heads, close your eyes. I can't, I can't go into Christmas without doing this. As every head is bowed, every eye is closed, no one's looking around. You're right here and you'd say, Pastor Larry, I've never been saved. I've never been born again. I've never asked Jesus to come into my heart, forgive me of my sin, and receive him as my Lord and Savior. Or you're here and you have done that. Maybe you've been in church for years or maybe you backslid. But God is really saying, you know what? It's time for you to rededicate your life to me. So as every head is bowed, every eye is closed, no one's looking around, just me, you, and the Holy Spirit. You're here and you say, Pastor Larry, would you remember me in prayer? I want to give my life to the Lord. And that's the greatest gift you can give to God is the surrender of your life. So as every head is bowed, every eye is closed, say, Pastor, remember me in prayer. Lift your hand up all over the building where I can see it and, and hold it there for just the, the whole time, would you? I see that hand, that hand, that hand, that hand, that hand. I see that hand, that hand, that hand, that hand. I see that hand. Just hold it up there, that hand, that hand, that hand. I see that hand, that hand, that hand. I see that hand, I see that hand, I see that hand. I see that hand, I see that hand, I see that hand. I see that hand, that hand, that hand, that hand, that hand, that hand. I see that hand, God bless you. Anybody else clip, you're thinking about it right now? I see that hand, that hand, God bless you. Anybody else, wave it at me, wave it at me, wave it at me. Anybody else? Anybody else? I see that hand, God bless you. I see that hand, sir, God bless you. I see that hand, God bless you. Would you give these people a great big God bless? Amen. Now, listen to me very carefully. Here's the next thing that's going to happen. Satan's going to come up to you, whisper in your ear, you'll never make it. You'll never make it. When I first got saved in Flagstaff, Arizona, this man walked up to me in the bathroom, in the bathroom. I was washing my hands. I could see him in the mirror. And he said, you'll never make it. Stand behind me and never make it. Well, thank you, Satan. Because only Satan would tell you, you're not going to make it. Well, I'm not in heaven yet, but I'm doing okay. And you know what? You're going to do okay too. Say this out loud. I'm going to make it. Do you believe that? Take your neighbor's hands all over the building. We're going to close in prayer. I'm 14 minutes over, but that's okay. Jesus was 10 minutes late being born. I read it. <laughs> Lift your neighbor's hands up. Lift them up as unity because we're in this together. And you can't make it by yourself. Look at me. That's why you got to be in church. 
You got to come in. You got to come in. Church is the gas station. You can't buy a car. You can't buy a car and just drive it around. You got to stop in the gas station once in a while. Right? You got to fill that puppy up. Look at me. Say amen. You got to stay full. I know all those lights going off in the dashboard, ladies, are fun to look at. They're bright and fun, but they mean something. Pull into the gas station. Say this out loud. Father, I come to you right now in the name of Jesus. I know I've sinned. We've all sinned. But I know this. You love me so much. You sent Jesus Christ to pay the price in full for all my sin. Right now, I receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior. Now say this out loud. Now, now look at me. Look at me. This is me. Now, now you've got power. Now you got power. So say this out loud. Satan, get out of my life. Get out of my mind. Get out of my spirit. Get out of my body. Get out of my home, my family, my future, my finances. I declare in the name, by the blood, every curse is broken. Every blessing is received. Not someday, but today. This year will be the best year of my life so far. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Now, if you receive it, give him a great big clap. Come on, come on. Let everything that has breath, come on, come on. So when you look at each other and you're leaving, you go, Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year because your best is yet to come. Do you receive that this morning? Happy New Year. Merry Christmas. We'll see you Wednesday. Amen.